Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, producer Matt here. I've been behind the scenes working on the media podcast since 2015. Uh, Thank you if you've been listening all that time. And if you're new, welcome aboard. But this is a special message for all the doers out there. The producers, researchers, APs, engineers. Simply, I want to tell you this. You need to try Riverside. Riverside is the remote recording platform for all your audio and visual needs. Uh, My company, Rethink Audio, has been using it not just on the media podcast, but for many others too, from Happy Place to the High Performance Podcast. It has been extremely reliable since we switched to it last year. And on the very rare occasion there is an outage, uh, internet or otherwise, the backup there is, in my opinion, Uh, just as good as the main recording on Zoom. So I'm delighted that Riverside are supporting the media podcast. Try it out for free today. And when you're ready, head to riverside.fm and use the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off any Riverside subscription. There's a link in the show notes. That's riverside.fm and the code MEDIAPOD for $15 off. Hello and welcome to The Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, the BBC lets two more leading broadcasters slip away to global. This time it's Emily Maitlis and John Sopel. So why does it keep happening and what's the strategy at LBC? Uh, Also on the programme, the editorial director of The Week Junior, that's the award-winning print magazine for kids that's currently topping the magazine charts, Uh, will be asking how do you explain the invasion of Ukraine to an eight-year-old? And in the media quiz, we discover which media players are moving into uncharted waters. That's all coming up in this edition of The Media Podcast. This week, we've seen body warmers replaced by flak jackets as war breaks out in Ukraine. Uh, We've also seen male online maestro Martin Clark step down after 13 years. Uh, Clark said it was an overnight success that took 13 years of blood, sweat, quite a lot of cigarettes and quite a lot of booze. Uh, And the media industry has been mourning the tragic loss of a music legend, the inspirational Jamal Edwards. We'll be exploring his impact and legacy a bit later on in the show. Uh, But joining me first, it's a first time guest. It's a delight to have Jill Hine, director of TV at Enders Analysis, here to unpack the stories shaping our industry. Jill, welcome. Pleasure to be here, Matt. This week, Enders have reported that the social media app TikTok has hit a billion users in record speed. Uh, Should some of their competitors start to feel a bit worried? I would suggest that they're in trouble. I mean, it's a phenomenal growth story for TikTok four years after the global launch to hit a billion users, um, and that excludes India. Um, but what TikTok has done and done incredibly well sort of during the pandemic, it's really got that 18 to 24 year old demographic 
pretty much sort of sewn up. Um, and though TikTok doesn't describe itself as a social media platform, what it actually is doing is taking time away from people using social media. And we're seeing that actually the age group, the 1824s, is expanding and it's getting older and older. Um, and so what we're going to see in this is, is sort of hollowed out Facebook quite significantly or meta. And actually, what we, we've always thought about in terms of digital advertising, it's Google and Facebook. But what we're going to see, it's going to be Google, Facebook, and also um, TikTok coming in there. TikTok's advertising revenues last year were about $4 billion, and we, we estimate it's going to be about $12 billion this year, so a significant upload. So what we're actually seeing is it's actually Meta that's going to be sort of more badly affected. Uh, I mean, Meta had really sort of bet the farm on Instagram for younger audiences, hadn't they? Snapchat has always done pretty well on its own on the younger end, but um, Instagram was really hoping for that audience. Um, Are people leaving Insta and spending all their time on on TikTok? I wouldn't say they're totally leaving Insta, but they're spending a lot less time. And if you actually look at sort of the the growth of these platforms, what you can see is that that, uh, TikTok amongst the younger age groups is, is the largest so- social media platform by quite a way. And actually, it's intended to get its audience from Snapchat, but also Insta is actually in decline as well. All the growth is coming through TikTok at the moment for the younger age groups. And has the UK operation uh, made a mark on the ad market yet? Are they starting to do well? They're starting to do well, but what we're going to see is we're going to see it ramp up in the next couple of years. So they will go in and we, you know, we think they've, they've probably got a high, uh, just as much revenue as Snapchat last year that's going to increase again this year. So they're starting to do well on the advertising as well. But it's one of these, like many of these social medias, it's getting the users first, monetization later. And are you on TikTok yet? Are you doing any dance routines? <laughs> I have seen my kids do many of them, it must be said. <laughs> also on the show, we've got the managing director of production company Gold Waller, Faraz Osman. Hi, Faraz. Hey, Matt. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this week, we've seen the return of the BAFTA Children's and Young People Awards. Now, you're the chair. Have you given it a reboot? Yeah, so we've been talking about this for a while. Um, the, we haven't done the awards for a couple of years now. Um, and we wanted to make sure that when we did come back post-pandemic, um, and uh, we, we came back with a, 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 a real new, renewed sense of what children's content is doing right now. And I think that the market has changed quite significantly, even in these few short years that we've um, that we've had a rest of the, the awards, both with the launch of a number of different streaming platforms and also with the Young Audience Content Fund, which has funded a number of incredible shows um, that have been celebrated in, in other award ceremonies. And then also just, you know, the incredible work that children's content has done during the pandemic and from everything from uh, supporting homeschooling to making sure that young people don't get go, go completely stir crazy being in lockdown. So I think I'm I'm really excited about what this year is going to going to celebrate and what we're going to do, and it's going to be part of a wider festival that's going to be celebrating young people's content and and also inspiring the next generation of creatives to come through. So so we're really really genuinely excited about um, about what it what, what it will produce, and it also kind of coincides with the relaunch of 195 in Piccadilly, which is an incredible space. I don't know if any of your listeners have managed to visit it yet. But if you get an opportunity, then, then make sure you, you go over there with bells on because it is a remarkable space that they've, that they've created there. What have they done to it? So it's had a complete refurbishment. They've, they've literally raised the roof. It's just a very special place. Um, and it kind of very much meets the, the standard that you would expect from, from a, uh, a, a brand like BAFTA. Uh, it's just a, a, you know, a really, really lovely venue and is, I, I think, really meets the ambitions of what BAFTA are trying to do. Um, to, to celebrate content. And it's, you know, it's not just about London. They're doing incredible stuff across the country and, and in LA as well. But, but the, you know, the flagship building is is what this is all part of. Uh, great. Well, media a podcast outing to 195 uh, on the way. Let's, let's do um, it. 
And on to the big stories this week. Global has secured a deal with John Sopel and Emily Maitlis. Uh, Jill, this is another significant sort of leak of BBC talent uh, over to Leicester Square. Uh, what do you think of, of this signing? Again, as you say, Matt, it's another high-profile or two high-profile people moving over from the BBC to Global. Um, it's a reflection of two areas, I suppose. One, the, the growth of Global and, and LBC, but also what's happening overall at the BBC and news. Obviously, uh, there's been a huge political pressure on the BBC for, for many years, into, which has resulted in a significant loss of funding. Um, also, presenters' uh, salaries being publicly available, um, and of course, both these, both uh, Emily and John, have their have their salaries published every year. Uh, but also, what's happened since the, I suppose, since the arrival of Tim Davey as Director General, is one of the first things he's talked about is about impartiality and impartiality of news presenters. Um, and uh, you know, there's obviously different definitions of impartiality, but there's a big issue between, I suppose, what is the line between news and commentary. Um, and if you're a presenter and these two are very, very highly skilled and experienced journalists, you know, they would want to do some sort of opinion as well. Um, Emily Maitlis has obviously been in, in trouble last year with, uh, with the Newsnight and, and, and Dominic Cummings, uh, where she did that sort of monologue, which I think probably majority of the country actually agreed with. Uh, but she's then been under quite a lot of constraints. Um, and we've seen this all through. So it, again, it's another example of people, of, of, of seasoned um, news journalists leaving the BBC to go somewhere where they can possibly have more input. Uh, and from Global's perspective, um, I mean, these are going to be expensive talent. Obviously, they're not working full time at Leicester Square. There's other things that I'm sure that they'll be doing. Um, but it's an expensive investment for Global. Is it, is it really worth it or is it, a, is it a little bit of a vanity hire for them? Uh, that's a very interesting perspective. I would imagine it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, you know, as uh, Global of uh, LBC has been struggling around for, for many, many years, and actually since in the last two or three years since it's gone national, they've invested significantly in its product, um, and they toe the line very well in terms of the Broadcasting Act, in terms of being opinionated, but actually sticking within the broadcast codes of impartiality because it's spread throughout the day. Um, it's a significant financial investment, I, I'm sure because um, Emily and John will be doing their own podcast, they must have some skin in that as well, which I'm sure is, is, is helpful for those two and probably lowers the cost for global. Um, you know, they'll be expecting a return on the podcast, but uh, I think a vanity project is probably a good, uh, a good synopsis as well of this. Do you think, because um, they, they obviously mentioned that they, they would do an LBC show as well, um, do you think they'll end up being, uh, you know, weekday presenters? Um, you know, is Nick Ferrari under, under threat, do you think, from them? Uh, or do you think they'll kind of pop up at the weekend alongside their, their podcast? Um, obviously, we're not privy to the plans there. I would imagine they're more likely to pop up at the weekend rather than doing five days a, a, a week, because actually, as you say, they, they are both very, very seasoned journalists. I can't really see them doing a two or three hour show every day. So Faraz, what do you think of Maitlis and Sopel uh, going off to Global? What do you think they're going to be doing there? It's a massive coup for Global. I don't, I'm not aware of anybody that saw it coming. And, and maybe when you saw Dino, the producer, leaving the BBC, we probably should have been a little bit more savvy in, in figuring out what the, the big play was. But I think it's, it's a bit, it's, you know, Americast is a, is a decent podcast. I listen to it and I enjoy it. And I think it's good to have a British perspective of what's going on in the US. And I think it's helped by the fact that BBC tone of, of being impartial, that newscast and Brexit cast has had as well, um, has meant that you don't get this kind of one-sided sensationalist thing that you get from 
from podcasts that I also listen to, like Pod Save America and, you know, more left-leaning stuff and obviously all the way to the talk radio stuff that you get that is very right-leaning in, in America. So I think Americast has actually been quite an interesting project that has helped both the careers and, and profiles of, of, um, of both those presenters. And, um, uh, and I think that, you know, there's a lot, obviously a lot of talk about John Sokol didn't get that uh, Laura Kunzberg job and that may be why he started kind of looking elsewhere. But, but I think that off the back of the Prince Andrew interview, Emily Maitlis leaving the BBC is a really, really big deal. Um, and it's a big boot for Global. Whether or not they can, they, they can have the same level of exposure and profile by not being on the BBC is left to be seen. But it definitely demonstrates that Global's ambitions are, are global, are massive. Global's got global ambitions. There you go. I mean, Emily has had it pretty tough, hasn't she? You know, she's had amazing sort of success um, editorial success um, but she's had grief over her social media posts maybe not like the best backing from the BBC over some of the things that that uh, she said that people have ag- agreed with probably um, and uh, editors have changed and people she's worked with has, has changed I mean has she sort of slipped through slipped through their hands is, is that a problem for the BBC well I mean, this has been going on for a while, and obviously Andrew Neil was part of this, and, and may well have been the first person to uh, for, for the BBC to have lost. But you know, there are personalities, and if, if you are a personality, um, you, you're going to want to have an opinion, and and sometimes that can be quite soft, like what happened to Naga Manchetti and and the fact that she was, uh, you know, had had her, her finger wagged at her for saying what she said about Donald Trump, um, and and sometimes it can be a little bit more. Uh, a controversial like we had with Andrew Neil and and uh, and Emily Maitlis and and I think that it's key it's clear that you've got these anchors and hosts that clearly have an opinion and there's a lot of go- things going on in the news right now it's very difficult not to have an opinion and the BBC are doing everything they can to remain impartial um, and sometimes that's simply at odds with the with the level of personalities we're talking about here and I think that's true for both Emily and John so it's not a surprise that we're seeing a lot of people look towards a commercial sector where the rules are a little bit more lackadaisical around impartiality so they can kind of continue to craft their own voice that can sometimes be bigger than the editorial voice of the BBC itself. Also another hire that happened at the end of last year was uh, Andrew Marr. Um, They announced this week, this is Global, they announced this week that he's going to be on air four days a week uh, from March the 7th, uh, from 6pm to 7pm, chopping a little bit of time out of uh, Eddie Mayer's show. Um, They also mentioned that the show is going to be televised live on Global Player. Um, And this is obviously quite a thing, this sort of combination of simulcasting radio and television. GB News launched nationally on on digital radio um, just after Christmas. Um, are the are all these sorts of newsy opiniony channels sort of merging together, being both telly and radio? Are we going to see LBC uh, on the EPG? Well, then you've probably got to add in Talk TV, which is going to be the the news UK's um, uh, radio or TV plus, no doubt, radio in there as well. Are they all going to merge in a bit? Uh, in some respects, I think the answer to that will be yes. How much audience they all get is a different matter. The, the news environment will be very different uh, than it has been over the last few years, but I'm sure the audience to many of these shows will be pretty small. Because in reality, what, and LBC do this incredibly well, is they do the sort of the small snippets of say three or four minutes of each of presenter that they can then put out on YouTube and social media. That works. Watching for a whole two hours may mm. not work. Um, it could be a different proposition with it's, if it's Andrew Martin. He's got good people in because again, he's a, a very very uh, excellent um, uh, interviewer. I mean, it seems a real battleground, doesn't it, with Talk TV, GB News, and even if LBC was to to 
put their toe into this water too. Um, and I mean, GB News's audience hasn't really set the set the world alight. Um, do you think there is growth in that in that market? Do you think they'll they'll gradually teach UK consumers that it's there, or is it still going to be a tough sell? I think GB News is going to be a, a tough sell. Um, it, it has a certain type of audience, and you're limiting yourself to that audience that is, you know, very pro, um, you know, Nigel Farage, etc. So you're you're actually always limiting yourself to a small audience. And actually, if you watch it, it's a lot of monologues going on. It's at the moment it's not that great quality throughout most of it, which will have an impact. And of course, when they're tr- what they're trying to do their biggest audiences, they're up against not just news programs, but they're actually up against general entertainment in the evening. And people still want to go and watch Coronation Street, EastEnders, and everything else that's on at sort of seven thirty to to nine o'clock. So it's um it's it's difficult to break through. It will be interesting when we see uh, the the talk TV launch because I think they will be probably less opinionated in one way than, than GB News, and therefore they may be able to generate better audiences or more significant audiences than GB News. But it's very difficult to break into this space when you're up against very experienced. Uh, no, it is tough. And I think even with big stars, and obviously they've got Piers Morgan, who'll yeah. do a sort of hybrid entertainment news show, it's a, it's a, it's just tough to drive awareness, isn't it, and get people to get people to tune in. Um, looking at uh, some other news, uh, this time uh, further up the EPG uh, at RT, um, what was Russia Today, um, with the military assault on Ukraine, UK ministers, including the Culture Secretary Noreen Dorries, and Sakir Starmer have called for RT to be reviewed or even shut down by Ofcom. Um, Jill, what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to see RT removed from from UK screens because the government want it off? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very odd one, isn't it? I mean, we've got to balance the, diff- the, the, the sort of the freedom of speech and, and peddling misinformation. Um, at the moment, there is no reason for Russia Today be, to be taken off the screens. It has a broadcast licence. It's allowed to have a broadcast licence because the owner, even though it is state funded, which is allowed under the sort of the 1990 Broadcast Act, is not supposedly funded by the uh, by a political party. So it's allowed to have its licence. What they can bring it up for is actually if it does a breach of the licence in terms of its output and if it's deemed as being impartial, misleading, etc. Its audience is absolutely tiny at the moment. Uh, what what was actually happening here is we're getting a huge amount of more airtime for for Russia today than it's ever had before in terms of what the government's been saying, and of course we then got to have counter argument against that is is actually what about what will happen to if we do take Russia today off what will happen to BBC out there in the Ukraine and Russia I've no doubt there'll be a tit for tat and we've got to consider actually the downside of that with where you get Russian people and people in Ukraine not being able to listen to an impartial news broadcast of actually what is actually happening out in those regions. I thought Ofcom's response was actually pretty good, where they said, um, you know, if, if RT breached the, the rules, then we'll deal with it and we'll deal with it quickly. Um, but arbitrarily taking it off isn't particularly the, the right thing to do. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, <laughs> if you're talking about Russia today and it's uh, and it could possibly, its output could be influenced by what's happening in the Kremlin, then actually, what, what does that mean if our regulator is sort of forced by political pressure <laughs> to take channels on or off? Uh, so <laughs> it's sort of, it's, it's, it's working in reverse. So I think, as you said, I think Ofcom's response is a very good response and they will be looking at all the news coverage and seeing if it does actually, uh, if it does breach the rules. Faraz, if you were in charge of Ofcom, would you leave RT on or would you yank it uh, off the air? Well, that's a, that's a loaded question, Matt. You went straight in there. Um, if I was in charge of Ofcom, I would have a very long to-do list right now. But I, I kind of broadly agree with Jill. I think that the, the approach that Ofcom are taking is the right one. 
Um, I, I think that in particular, Jill's point about the BBC is, is really, really valid. And um, my, my view is, is that it's, it's probably more of a threat to remove media services from Russia, like the BBC, um, than to have them removed from, have RT removed from the UK. Um, so I, I think kind of watching it very closely and fast tracking complaints seems to make a lot of sense. Um, not least because I think it will put more scrutiny on any propaganda that does come through that channel. Um, and I think that's probably, that level of scrutiny is, is probably a good thing. I, I can't imagine that the, uh, the the Russian government are particularly bothered about whether or not RT are on air in the UK or not at the moment. Um, so uh, so I kind of agree with Jill that the, the approach that they're taking seems to be the sensible one. The latest ABCs for the magazine industry have been released and there's actually quite a bit of good news at the newsstand. Uh, I spoke to Anna Bassi, who's the editorial director at The Week Junior, to find out how a print magazine for kids has ended up in the top four news print publications in the UK. <laughs> I mean, we've had an astonishing journey, really, since launching in 2015 with pretty modest ambitions. I remember being quite excited when we had 20,000 subscribers and now we have over 90,000 subscribers and it shows no sign of slowing down, really. I mean, there, there literally wasn't anything like it before mm. before we launched The Week Junior. And I think prior to our launch, the idea of a news magazine for kids had been had been pretty roundly poo-pooed by most people who, who you would ask. Generally, the assumption is that children just want to read about, you know, fictional brands and, or you know television programs and, and that they wouldn't buy a magazine anyway unless there was something free stuck on the front cover the week junior sort of was a refreshing change to all of that and it's shown that you really can make a magazine that children want to read that is about the real world and it doesn't have to rely on a gimmick to to say i think once people find it you know once parents find it and once they get it into the hands of their children we've seen time and time again that even kids who don't really like reading very much or have struggled with reading have, have really engaged with it and have found something about it which isn't obviously accidental but you know that there's always something in there for every child and it, it's incredibly excessive so, and, and then of course the last few years have been pretty uh, busy with news as well and that's sort of probably helped us so for listeners who haven't seen a copy what's in the week junior magazine what do kids get everything <laughs> they get everything <laughs> we've described it in the past as a, a sort of a, a kaleidoscopic walk through the world over the past week so and that really is what it is and it is I mean we're best known I suppose for being a current affairs magazine for children and of course the first six pages of every issue are devoted to news from around the world but it's but it isn't just that it, it's about books and it's about sport and it's about science and it's about the natural world and the environment and it's about films and great photos and things to do and things to make so there is there is literally something in there for every child to, to read, to, to enjoy something, you know, they'll discover things they didn't know they were interested in. You know, it really is a kind of a really good, bright and engaging and, and pretty positive summary of, of the world in a way. Is it sort of split between sort of subscriptions or newsstand or schools? Where does the audience come from? Very much uh, subscription. I think I'd, I'd say we're probably about 90% subscriber, which is which is wonderful. And that is that is the area, of course, in which we've seen the most growth. So we have people who will be getting that magazine through the door every Friday. And I, and I, I think there's something about that as well that's that's more special than picking up a magazine off the newsstand. This, you know, having something come through the letterbox with your name on it every Friday when you get back from school makes it something of, of an event as well. How do you cover stories so at the moment obviously we're, we're waking up when we're recording this to russia's invasion of the ukraine that's obviously a, a, a big issue that's quite a knotty one to explain to eight to 14 year olds where do you start with something like that 
you have to go right back to the beginning. I think that, you know, it's uh, it actually it's, really, it's interesting because we sent this week's issue to press yesterday and we had many conversations about how much detail we were going to go into on, on the situation in Ukraine. And of course, at that point, the invasion hadn't officially begun. So we, we took a line where we, we referred to it. We spoke about sanctions, but we didn't unpack the story in any great depth. And, and that is something we're now going to have to do do next week and you know all we can do is, is is go right back to the beginning i think for for children you know the word war is you know for all of us it's it's absolutely terrifying isn't it and, and you know but these children who we, who we write for have just lived through two years of pandemic they're already quite anxious about climate change and so putting war on, on, on the table in front of them as well is, is quite a thing to have to do so we'll just stick to our sort of tried and tested formula which is you know remain calm provide them with the facts, give them the context, you know, don't speculate. I think one of the things we learn, especially probably starting with Brexit and certainly through the pandemic has been that we should never speculate. We shouldn't be talking about what might happen or what or what could happen unless we've got something really helpful and sensible to say. So that's that's what we'll do here. And I think once we've explained the background to the story, we've explained where it is, you know, who's involved and what people are saying about it on, on all sides, we'll, we'll try to find a positive in there somewhere. And there will be something, there will be somebody who's helping, there'll be a charity who's on the ground, there will be, you know, there will be stories we can tell of people in the community and, and their sort of resilience and, and creativity in, in adversity. So that's, that's something we, we tend to try to do whenever there's a difficult story is to, to try to end on a note that shows that there is a way forward and there are people who are doing the right things as well. I think the, the worst thing we could do would be to leave a child with a sort of a deep sense of anxiety and uncertainty. You know, it, it, inevitably there will be some, it's, it's unavoidable, but I think we have a job to do, which is to show that the world isn't awful and that there are good people and, and good things that happen as well as all the bad things. That was Anna Bassi. You can find out more at theweekjunior.co.uk. And if you work in the media, you know that it's hard to get people to understand that they need to pay for the content they enjoy. And just like your TV show or radio programme, this podcast doesn't magically come together. And we do like to pay some of the people who do all the hard work putting it together. To help us do that, and if you can afford it, I'd encourage you to become a supporter by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash mediapod. I was looking at the podcast charts, and it turns out that the Cayman Islands, we do pretty well in the Cayman Islands, so if that's you uh, listening to us from there, I think you should definitely join our Patreon, patreon.com slash mediapod. Um, Each week, our patrons get exclusive access to content as well. Uh, This week, they can find out more uh, from Anna Bassi at The Week Junior. Uh, If you join up now, you can access that, plus all of our recent uh, extra interviews uh, too. Uh, Just head along, patreon.com slash mediapod. And we'll be back with more media news and, of course, our weekly quiz after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Jill and Faraz are still with me and it's time for some more media news. The media industry has been mourning the loss of the talented Jamal Edwards, founder of SBTV, who helped launch the careers of talents, including Ed Sheeran and Stormzy. Um, Faraz, what will Jamal's legacy be to British culture in in years to come? Um, It's actually been quite a difficult week um, for lots of people who have been in Jamal's significant orbit. I think my my timelines across social have just been flooded with um, not just good wishes, but but photos and videos and so much different types of content where where Jamal has appeared, and it's it's one of these things that has been really spiriting to see that he's he's touched so many lives across so many different spectrums from from charity and um, and outreach, on, and obviously across music and entertainment as well. I think what what I would say is is the the influence of music that Jamal's had is is really obvious, and it's been the thing that a lot of people have been focusing on. But I think what's also compelling is his his influence on production companies and uh, media outlets run by people of colour. Um, I, I think there's there's uh, he has genuinely inspired a generation of of not just um, people that are interested in music and entertainment, but also people that are interested in business and entrepreneurship. And in in recent years, he's been doing some incredible work around his self-belief campaign and and really encouraging um, particularly black men to be more, far more positive about what they can achieve and what they can do in the world around them and and at such a young age to kind of achieve that many things um, is a real kind of uh, testament to, to to what can be done when you have that level of confidence and uh, but I think more, more than anything else you know it, it's been a hard week there's there's no doubt about it um, I, I worked with Jamal very briefly I worked with his team um, when I was at Channel 4 um, uh, his early team at Channel 4, they were all incredible and were all kind of renegades and, you know, really uh, disruptive in, in a way that um, could have been, could have rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. But I've, I've yet to meet somebody that hasn't talked about Jamal's smile, hasn't talked about the way he approached things, hasn't talked about his positivity. And, and that early team have all gone on to do remarkable things across so many different sectors. So his ability to spot talent, not just in music, but in media as well was was unparalleled and and I think he'll be sorely missed um, because I think we were all really excited to see what he was going to do next and and this is a real shock to to everyone that had the smallest association with him. SBTV was one of the first sort of YouTube native kind of platforms programs was very of that of that media uh, early on. Um, I mean, really, it was a trailblazer for for what what a lot followed from there people were very much inspired by by what what they achieved what was interesting about SBTV is it appeared at that time when when youtubers were really becoming a thing so there were lots of individual accounts 
you know, Zoella being the kind of most obvious one, um, Thatcher Joe and uh, Dan and Phil, there were lots of kind of personality accounts as individuals. But what SB was doing was, was one of the very few channels in, in a more kind of traditional sense in that it had a purpose around music and it was championing other voices. And, and that's where it started. It was also kind of around a time when Copper 90 first came about and uh, we had things like FoodTube as well. So there was a real kind of um, backing that Jamal got for that platform by YouTube. He obviously had the Google Chrome advert that really celebrated the work that he was doing. Um, and I think that he just saw it as a, a space to be to, to have an outlet for things that he was interested in. And, and a lot of people followed suit as a result of that. But I would say that his his more recent work has been has been less around that platform and more around this idea of, like I said, entrepreneurship and um, and, and what he can do for the wider community. The, the two things in, in combination is, is kind of where we are right now, which is this idea that you can have a, a platform, but also you can be a personality at the same time. And the two things aren't necessarily exclusive. I mean, Jill, media companies have had a lot of trouble setting up kind of YouTube channels or you know, TikTok locations where individuals have, have had a, a much better go at it. I mean, even now, with, I'm kind of sort of 15 years on into YouTube, it's still tough for media companies to, to really do it properly. Uh, is there anyone out there who's, who's doing it well? That's a very difficult question. I'm not sure that that many people out there are doing very well. I think the, 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 the traditional broadcasters have got this issue is that they're coming it from a broadcast way rather than actually thinking about it from the... the coming up from the 100% opposite uh, and they're sort of tied with all the strictures and the codes that they've had for, for many years and they, it, it's a very very different mindset uh, and broadcasters still, they've got 15 years on probably less than that, still haven't really got up there. Um, they're trying to but we're still seeing, you know, and, and they have to do this to, to, to appeal to a younger demographic that's actually moving away from television as is well documented but they haven't quite got the mindset out there in, in the right way at this moment in time. I, I think also it's worth saying this kind of a whole idea of failing fast is, you know, although it seems like a bit of a cliche now, it, it's still very much true in this space. And what SB did alongside lots of different partners in that space is that, you know, we are ce- we celebrate Jamal for all the successes around um, Stormzy and Ed Sheeran, and Dave and Jesse J and um, Rita Ora. All of those things are absolutely true that he, he was at, at the very beginning of all of those artists' career. But there were also a number of artists that he had on that platform that didn't take off, that he did champion, that, that didn't quite make it. And in, I think in a traditional broadcast space, there's a lot of anxiety and nervousness around that. But I think that what we're seeing from this generation that Jamal was part of is provide the platform, put people out there, put the content out there and let the audience decide what success is. And, and that, that, I, that kind of bravery around um, just trying things and seeing if it will work and then if it doesn't work not having such a massive level of anxiety around it is a real kind of key to why these channels succeed and YouTube as a platform moves so quickly which means that what worked six months ago or even three months ago won't necessarily work in three months time and it's very difficult for for bigger companies and bigger broadcasters to get used to that idea because they put together a plan they try and enact that plan and, and it may well not be suitable um, anymore. And, uh, and I think that Jamar's ability and, and people of his generation's ability to pivot very quickly into new ideas and, and new ways of doing things and not be too hung up if it doesn't quite work is, is a real key to, to making this work. Well, speaking of pivoting, it's time to move on to the glamorous world of the media quiz. Uh, this week it's entitled Uncharted Waters. Uh, so I'm going to give you three headlines where an individual or media organisation uh, has headed into uncharted waters this week. You've just got to tell me who was making the leap. 
So there's three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Faraz, you will say... Faraz. And Jill, you will say... Jill. <laughs> Let's play Uncharted Waters. Right, number one. A social media platform that's ventured into audio. A social media platform. Jill. Jill. Well, that's got to be LinkedIn. Uh, trying to sort of go down the audio routes and, and I would imagine we'll probably do it quite successfully but all around about business ventures um, and how to succeed in various areas. Uh, that's correct. Uh, LinkedIn social media platform for professionals is launching a podcast network for career-related content. Um, for us, do you think uh, LinkedIn are going to be uh, the new serial? I had a bit of deja vu then because I was a bit like, I'm sure Facebook launched their audio strategy like two years ago and I didn't realise that that was still a story. I was like, maybe I'm so cutting edge in, um, in, in, in my, my media news that I'm like picking up stories that happened two years ago. But no, I didn't even realise that, that, that LinkedIn uh, are jumping into the podcast space. I mean, I would say that it's Stephen Bartlett's Diary of the CEO and um, Jake Humphrey's um, high performance podcast demonstrates that like, there are there is very much a crossover between business and and podcast in a successful way. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were able to put, kind of put together a platform that connected people in the way that, that LinkedIn connections spam your inbox. Uh, Jill, uh, Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces they're quite kind of get rich quick uh, or career minded or kind of personal development related. They haven't necessarily set the world on fire. Do you think actually jumping into podcasts is, is maybe a, a pretty good platform for LinkedIn? I think something like Clubhouse is very different. At the start of, I suppose, during lockdown, it, it took off really well, and then it just sort of has dwindled away, really, hasn't it? I think LinkedIn uh, has got something different to offer. It's got a uh, billions of users, I have absolutely no doubt. Uh, but it it could it will never be huge, but it could be quite something. It could be something that is that is helpful to many people. And I think also the fact that so many people are now working from home as well. You can imagine people having some of these podcasts on that people have uh, have mentioned. Oh, you've got to listen to this one. You can imagine that working, but it's it's pretty incidental to LinkedIn's business model. You know, if you suddenly make a connection with somebody at LinkedIn, the ability to jump into a meeting with them, and, and you know that that kind of thing where you you, you message somebody on LinkedIn and say it would be great to start of a meeting. It's not a direct way of doing that straight away, saying, you know, let me know what your diary is and I can press a button and, and chat to somebody that I just made a connection with LinkedIn. seems to be quite savvy. But I think with Microsoft want, um, wants to push into further into social media, um, this seems to be quite a smart play because if you can kind of create that direct connection that's quicker than what is currently happening, which is you message somebody on LinkedIn and then move it over to email quite quickly, um, closing that loop could be quite a, a powerful thing for, for Microsoft to do. I think LinkedIn are very, um, very much pushing into content. You know that feed being more than just "Hey, I've got a new job" and, and people p- putting more information on there. So adding podcasting is kind of further going in, into that space. Uh, right, question number two: um, There is a new fish in the broadcasting pool with more competition for covering the big political stories of the year. Who's that? Oh God, this is GB News, isn't it? This is uh, Faraz. Um, you need to buzz they've, in. They've been... Oh, sorry. Faraz, Faraz, GB News. I didn't want to say my name in GB News in the same sentence. That's why I was trying to avoid that. But they've uh, they've they've added themselves to the to the well, they haven't added themselves, but they've been added to the broadcast pool um, that kind of allows them to uh, get further access to uh, stories from the heart of Westminster. I, I mean, my view is, is that this is the ongoing balance between um, whether or not GB News is a news channel, whether it's an entertainment channel, which I don't think they themselves have kind of quite settled on yet. Um, but, you know, fair play to them. 
um, they uh, they're able to kind of get into the same room as the big players, and and that's what they've always strived for. So let's see if they can uh, they can not mess this bit up. Uh, and finally, uh, an infamous figure has returned to the world of social media, launching the Truth app. Who's that? It's it's Trump, isn't it? Uh, uh, um, Faraz, if you're going to play the game, you sorry, have to Faraz, play by the sorry, rules. Sorry, 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 sorry. Faraz, um, uh, <laughs> Truth Social is a, is a is is backed by Donald Trump's like nefarious fund that doesn't quite make sense, but is obviously a bit of a money spinner for him. Um, although I think launched is a very, is a bit of a strong word because my understanding is that the waiting list of it is is pretty pretty long right now. So. Um, so it's it's a bit of a wild uh, it's a bit of a wild roller coaster for them still. And I imagine I imagine that trying to get it launched in time for the midterms, um, whether or not they pull it off is a, is another matter. Truth Social, uh, it's actually sort of backed by a kind of slightly strange uh, financial mechanism. Who'd have thought that with with Donald Trump? But they've raised quite a lot of money to 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 do something potentially quite interesting. He's obviously got the fans to to join in. Um, are we being a bit mean on Truth Social? Do you think it could have a chance of uh, being a success? Sadly, I think it could have a chance of being a success, just given the sheer numbers of people that seem to support Trump over there. Um, and the, the, the name is just absolutely fabulous, isn't it? Truth Social. <laughs> Couldn't be further from. <laughs> uh, and you have, I think on there, you have truths or retruths uh, are the tweets and retweets uh, number catcher. <laughs> I've, I've heard a rumour that the terms of service of the app say that you can't criticise any of the investors or anybody involved in, in, the, in the development of the app, which basically means that if you want to be on the app, you're not allowed to say mean things about Donald Trump because you might hurt his feelings. <laughs> I'm a little bit more pessimistic about it, as you can probably tell. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in this space now with Getter and Parler um, and, and now this. And, and I, I think that it does live or die on how much engagement that Donald Trump has with it. And as we all know, that man is all, all about attention. And unless this has the masses looking at it, which I don't think it will, I imagine that he'll get quite bored of this quite quickly. Um, in the same way that you got bored about selling stakes and university diplomas and whatever nonsense businesses you got involved in. Um, it's a nice story, but I can't imagine we'll be talking about it in a year's time. I sincerely hope we're not talking about it in a year's time, to be honest. Uh, that's our show for today. Uh, my thanks to Jill Hind and Faraz Osman. Uh, Jill, where can people find the latest Enders updates? Uh, go straight to our website at endersanalysis.com or obviously you can just drop any of us an email and we'll send something straight over. Uh, and Faraz, if people can't find you on Truth Social, how can they keep up with you? <laughs> I mean, even if I wanted to set up an account, the waiting list is too long. But the waiting list to contact me isn't that long. So if you want to do so, um, I'm my uh, uh, Goldwaller is Gold underscore Waller across all different socials. Um, and I've got different names on different platforms. So I'm Fosman on Instagram and Faraz Osman on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this episode, share as you mean it by doing any or all of these things. Uh, you can tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn. Text on LinkedIn is fine. Um, audio, if you really want to go for it, uh, do that. Uh, you can also take out our Riverside.fm trial using the code MEDIAPOD or become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash mediapod. Uh, you can follow us to hear the latest episodes when they drop in your podcast app of choice or by going to podfollow.com slash the media podcast. Uh, my name's Matt Deegan. You can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry and more at mattdeegan.com. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Hold up. 